Good morning, everybody. Let's uh, stand for the reading of the word today. We're in Exodus 32, verses 14 to 24. The Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, inscribed front and back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was God's writing, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp, but Moses replied, it is not the sound of a victory cry and not the sound of a cry of defeat. I hear the sound of singing. As he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. Then he took the calf they had made, burned it up, ground it to powder. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water and forced the Israelites to drink the water. Then Moses asked Aaron, what did these people do to you that you have led them to such a great grave sin? Don't be enraged, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know that the people are intent on evil. They said to me, make us a God who will go before us because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I said to them, whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave it to me. And when I threw it into the fire, out came this calf. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray a little bit. God, we thank you for the privilege to come together today to worship. God, to read your word, study, fellowship, baptism, communion. God, we are just so, so grateful. We recognize that every good and perfect gift that comes down from you, oh God. So right now, don't just listen to me pray. I want to ask you to pray right now. The most important thing you ever do is pray. So right now, I want you to pray something in your heart. God hears, he knows. Pray something like this. God, I ask you to open my spiritual eyes and ears that I can see and hear what you want me to see and hear this morning. Convict me where I need conviction. Encourage my heart where I need encouragement. And God, I ask you to stir my affections for you. So Lord, we pray that this whole time that it comes under your kingdom, authority, reign, and rule, we ask you to reign and rule over every aspect of everything that's happening here we pray this in Jesus' name. You agree with that? Say amen. amen. So I spent several years in the oil field working as a roughneck, and one of the things that, that got deeply ingrained into my heart and my soul is something called trip hazards. Every time before we'd come on tower, we'd go to work, we'd talk about, we'd have a safety meeting, and that safety meeting would, would go over trip hazards. And so when you went out on the rig floor, if we went out first thing, everything we'd do is we'd look around, make sure there's no hoses laying across the floor, any tools left out, because you could be possibly carrying something and not see the trip hazard, and when you tripped over, especially if you're carrying something heavy, probably gonna get injured in that. So all-time trip hazards. So here, years later, I'm walking through my house. Even this past week, my grandsons came and spent the week with me. And they got there, they had their shoes out in the middle of the floor. First thing I do is, hey boys, get those trip hazards out of the middle of the floor. It's just right there, deeply ingrained in my heart, always looking for trip hazards everywhere. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about spiritual trip hazards. Because sometimes we can just think, oh, well, it's no big deal. Just leave it out there, and I'll just be sure to step over it. I'll go around it. I'll be safe. I'll be careful. And next thing you know, we get tripped up. So to trip, think about that. Usually... When you're tripping, that's not something you're intentionally doing. Use it as something that is unintentional. But here's what I would say to you is that sometimes we intentionally leave the trip hazards out in our lives spiritually, thinking that we're smart enough, good enough, we'll just go around and step over whatever it may be. And then the next thing you know, we're not paying attention and we trip right over it. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, 16. Look carefully, then how you walk. So, I'll help you understand this. If you've ever had a big dog in a small yard, you know what it means, look carefully where you step. <laughs> be very careful. It's like this, with your life, it says, be very careful then how you walk, where you step, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. I'm gonna ask you a question this morning. Have you been making the best use of your mind, your time this past week? Make the best use of it. What, is, what on earth does this mean? Think about this. You've been given time. Now, you don't know how much time you've been given, but you've been given time. You can spend it any way you want to spend it, but you can only spend it once. Once your time is spent and it's gone, that's it. So right now, the Bible's telling us, every single one of us, right now, this is your moment. This is your season. This is your time. You get to choose. God's given you the ability to choose how you spend this time. So the Bible's saying, 
You need to do it wisely. Make the best use of your time because the days that you're living in, they are evil. Just in case you have not figured that out, the world you live in, it is, it is under attack on your soul. Your soul is under attack. This world is trying to pull you away from God's kingdom purpose for your life. It's trying to pull you away from God's best for your life. And you are in a battle. I'll tell you something. You, it's, you don't have to even put the trip hazards out in your life. They're all over the place in this world. You leave out of this building today and they're everywhere. You turn on your phone, the TV, the computer, they're everywhere. You go to work, go to school, they're everywhere. And like, when, until you've been trained to recognize them for what they are, you'll think, oh, well, I just stepped over this my whole life. It's no big deal, it's just how it is. But then, I'll tell you, listen, the first oil rig I went to, there was no safety trainings and there was no, no one talked about trip hazards. And I'll tell you something, my first week there, I was backing up, a guy was on the other side of me, I had a, we had a big, I don't know what it was, backing up like this, and next thing I know, I tripped over something, and that big heavy thing landed on top of me. I went to the, the second rig I worked to, where all the safety training was, I was shocked the first day I walked on the floor and saw how clean it was. No one tripped the whole time I was there. The other rig, people tripping all the time. Until you've been trained to recognize them for what they are, you'll just think this is the way it is. You step over it. Well, you just you be careful. Hey, listen, being careful means that we get rid of the trip hazards. It means we go, we walk out there the first thing in my day, and I start off like, okay, I'm going to remove all the trip hazards. I don't want to worry this day about the trip hazards in my life. Here we are, Exodus chapter 32. God has given Moses the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle. He's given them a lot. 40 days, 40 nights, Moses has been up there communing with God. Special, wonderful time. And if you remember last week, God said, listen, those kids are tearing the place up. You need to get back down there and take care of them. So here's, here's where we pick up. Moses now has had a great life-changing moment in his life. He's been there with God for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't think Moses was the same. You ever seen the movie, The Ten Commandments? Have you ever noticed how Moses looks different when he comes down off the mountain? His hair is all glowing. You know, he's got different, his clothes are all white and everything like that. I mean, it's purposeful. It's trying to help us understand something, that this was a life-changing event in his life, a mountaintop experience. I'm going to ask you something. Have you ever had that in your life before? You said whenever you came out of that, you were never the same? You related to everybody differently? You saw everything differently. When you came down, you're like, man, I did not realize there was this many trip hazards everywhere. Get, let's clean this up. Okay, so that's what's happened with Moses. Moses coming back down. The people down in the valley have not experienced the same thing that he experienced up on the mountain. And it's tough when you go through a mountaintop experience, you come back to everybody else in the world, and they haven't changed like you have. And they wonder, what's happened to you? What's wrong with you? Because we, we had these, listen, these, trap, these trip hazards, this is how we live. We lock, we don't worry about cleaning these things, this stuff up. This, we lock these things. And you're like, man, these things, they will harm us. They will destroy us. We don't want this. We're trying to make the best of the time we've got right now. And they look at you like you're crazy. So here comes Moses down off the mountain. So he turned and he went down the mountain. And the Bible wants to make sure you understand something. He's got something in his hands. The two tablets of the testimony in his hands. And this wasn't something that Moses wrote, by the way. The Bible makes it very clear. The law of God came from God. This is not man-made. Moses didn't sit up there and he didn't talk to God about this and give God ideas. God told Moses, this is the only law you'll ever read that came directly from God. Man did not corrupt this. So if you look at the, the law of God, there's 613 commandments, by the way. There's not only 10 in the Old Testament. If you look at those, you're like, man, I don't really agree with that. Okay, so it's not that you're disagreeing with man. You're disagreeing with God on that. Okay, so I mean, this is why I'm making it very clear that this is inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. But you have to understand, too, the Bible makes it very clear that your salvation is the work of God. For by grace you've been saved through faith. The fact that you say, well, I thought I was saved by my faith. Well, I'll tell you something, that faith that you've got, that came from God. That's a gift from God. You take that faith, you develop it, you work with it. It's your responsibility to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But God gives you that faith, and he saves you by grace. It's the work of God to begin with. You're responding to the work of God in your life. The tablets were the work of God. And the writing was God's writing. So think about that. How special do you think these tablets were to Moses? He's coming down off there, man. I mean, he's a glow. He's been communing with God. He's got, he's got the tablets God gave him. God inscribed this with his own hand. 
Have you ever got a, a letter from someone that's very special to you and the writing, it was their handwriting and that meant so much to you? And then as years go by, I mean, like it just became more and more valuable to you. Here comes Moses, man. You gotta, you gotta grasp the emotion of the moment. He's been with God. He's got something. He's got a gift for the people, man. I got, I'm, I'm carrying the tablets of God. He wrote this with his own hand. Man, I mean, they got to be excited to see this, right? When Joshua, so Moses comes down about halfway, and there's Joshua, okay? Joshua didn't go all the way up. He's about halfway there. So when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, they got to stand something. Joshua's a warrior, okay? So when he hears, he's like, he's filtering everything through war, okay? Man, there's sound of war in the camp. He's probably getting all fired up, man. We're going to go fight. But Moses replied, no, no, no. You need to calm down, son. That is not what that sound is. That, this, it's not the sound of victory cry. So Moses is a little more seasoned. He understands. He knows what's happening here. It's not the sound of a cry of defeat. I hear the sound of singing, and they're not praising God when they're singing. Okay? As he approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. Moses became, look at this, Bible doesn't say he got mad. Bible doesn't say he got upset. Bible does not say that just kind of, you know, just tweaked him a little bit. Said that he became enraged. And look at this, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. Now, evidently, this was okay with God. Because if he did something that God didn't like right here, we would have known about this. So evidently, God's okay with him breaking these tablets that God gave him, that God inscribed with his own hands. Because when he throws it down, what he's doing right here is he's demonstrating to the people what they are doing. What they're doing is, is they have no regard for God's law. They have no regard for God's word. They just went their own way, worshiped their own thing, did things the way that they wanted to. And so whenever he throws this down the ground, it's demonstrating of what they, how they are responding to God. So he throws it down and he breaks it right there in front of the people. Must have been quite a scene. Now listen, you see now, we just, we gloss through this and fly through this way too quickly. But I want to bring you back to you and that mountaintop experience that you went through. And when you, did you come back down the mountain? And did you come back into where all hell had broke loose in this place where you're at? And was it upsetting to you? Did it, was it, was it, I mean, like, when you come back and you look around and you're like, trip hazards are everywhere. This is ridiculous. Why are we doing this? And everybody gets mad at you? Then understand this. Whenever Moses comes back down and he sees everybody, these people that God has delivered, these people that went through the Red Sea, these people that God's been feeding them manna every day. He's leading them with his presence every single day. I mean, this God that loves them so, and they've turned away and they started worshiping. They went back to Egyptian worship. The golden calf, that's Egyptian worship. So in their hearts, they're still in Egypt. God's delivered them. He's taken them to a promised land. But in their heart, they want Egypt. Do you see? That today, we've been delivered from sin. We've been delivered from the world, but yet we still want the world. We want heaven, but we want the world at the same time. And somebody comes in and says, look at this world we live in, man. Look at this. There's trip hazards everywhere. We're like, oh, are you judging me? I love these trip hazards. Look, you know what this came from right here? This is so good right here. Why, you, you mean you don't like this? Uh, well, well, I'm pointing that out saying this is a trip hazard. So let me tell you something else. So I had a life-changing event that happened to me when I was on the oil field, in the oil field because um, it got to a point to where I had about four or five men that I was responsible for. It wasn't their boss, but I was responsible for them. So one time, we're, we're doing something called changing out the bit. Most dangerous thing we pretty much will do out there. So we got down to the very bottom. We got this big, huge drill pipe down at the bottom. And I step on the floor. And when I step on the floor, all the men turn and they look at me. And when they look at me, I look at them and I think, every single one of them is out of position. It's my responsibility to make sure they're in position. They know they're out of position. I know they're out of position. But I didn't want to make anybody mad. I want everybody to be my friend. So you know what I did? I was just like nodding my head. It's so loud you can't talk, can't communicate. So when I nodded my head, my head, the driller pulls up on the drill pipe. When he pulled up on the drill pipe, it was bold. And whenever he pulled that tension off, that drill pipe went right through the middle of those men so fast you couldn't see it. Weaved right through them, miraculously. 
I mean, I was standing on this side when it weaved through. I mean, it just goes boom. We heard this big boom, and I looked over the side, and there's the drill pipe just kind of floating right there beside me. I look back, and all those men are scattering, and they just swung right back through the middle. I didn't hit a single one of them. So that night when I laid down in my bed, I could not go to sleep because I was responsible for those men. If that drill pipe would have hit one of those men, if they would have lived, they would have never been the same again. Every single one of them had wives and children at home, and I knew them. So that next day when I went back to work, I went back a different dude. I wasn't worried about anybody being my friend. I wasn't worried about anybody getting mad at me when I told them what to do and what not to do. I was thinking about the big picture, my responsibility to them. And I've never been the same. If you, I mean, if you, know, if you know that dude before, they, I was a preacher before that, and the preacher after that, it's two different preachers, by the way. And that's why I can stand up here today before, in front of you and I realize, that, listen, I'm not worried about you liking me. I'm not concerned about you being my friend. I'm concerned, I'm more responsible to God to tell you the truth. Because you got, listen, we've got eternity in front of us, and I've got to answer to every word I speak in front of you. That's a heavy thing that I've got to carry right here. So I'm, I'm, so I'm telling you this, I'm going to try and get prepared to talk about myself. I'm telling you this, mom and dad. I'm telling you this, teacher and coach. I'm telling you this, friend. Everybody that you're around, you're influencing them. This world you live in, you're, you're either, it's either, it's either dominating, influencing you, or you're influencing it, one or the other. That's up to you. But I want to tell you something. We've all got to understand something. We are in this together. And we need somebody to stand up and go, hey, listen, that's a trip hazard right there. Let's pick that up, okay? Before we get into this, let's get that out of the way first. Moses became enraged. He threw the tablets down, smashing them on the ground. He took the calf that they had made. Look at this. See, some of you, when you read this, you're like, like I was for me, why did he do this? Okay, so I'm going to keep this rated G, but I'm going to let you use your sanctified imagination to fill in the blanks what I'm about to tell you right here, okay, because it's pretty rough. Bible gets pretty rough at times. He took the calf that they had made. He burned it up. So the golden calf, he goes, burns it back up. He ground it into powder. Moses was angry, by the way, okay? He ground it into powder. He scoured the powder over the surface of the water and forced Y'all see this, one man, you got about three million people here. One man stands up in these three million people and he says, y'all all gonna drink this. No, I mean, I want to on that point where some of the other men that stand up say, you gonna go up here and make me? Nobody does that. You know what they all did? They all drank. Do you know why they all drank? Because Moses is a different dude. I wanna tell you something like, so I prayed about this and thought about this all week long. What's different about Moses and all the rest of these dudes? You know what the difference is? Because I think Moses should have come down there and looked at that and go, oh, man, that's a golden calf. Man, I used to worship that in Egypt. Let's get down with it. All right. Moses comes down and he gets mad. He straightens everybody out. Do you know what the difference between Moses and all the rest of them? Moses has been in Egypt too. He grew, up in, he grew up in Pharaoh's palace. Do you know what the difference between them? The difference is this. 40 years on the backside of the desert. That's the difference right there. Moses got an education that they didn't get. He got to know God, the burning bush back there. That's what separates Moses from all the rest of them. That's why when he comes down there and he sees this, he's enraged. He's just come off the mountain communing with God. He is a different kind of dude. And nobody says, you, would you step down here and make me? They all are like, okay, we'll do that. So when he does this, he's in the surface, the water, he forces Israelites to drink the water. Now, here's the rated G version. Because what Moses is saying is he's saying that this, when you drink this, the wave that comes out of your body, that's what that is. Then Moses asked Aaron, what did these people do to you? Um, Aaron, by the way, is his big brother, his older brother. So he turns to Aaron, and he's like, listen, I don't know what happened to you, man. Something, I was up there 40 days, I come back, something happened to you. What, somebody must have did something to you. What did these people do to you? They led you into such that you have led them into such a grave sin. Okay, so let me address something else right here while we're talking about this. Because I hear this still today. People are like, oh, well, you know, all sin's the same. No one in the Bible that say all sin's the same. Now, the consequence of sin separates us. That, that's the only place where all of sin is kind of similar. Jesus, when he stands before Pontius Pilate, Jesus is talking to Pilate. Jesus talks about the one that handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Go read it for yourself. So, I mean, and right here, too, he's like, man, like this sin right here, and just say, little sin, this is a grave sin. This is serious. Like, when you got something that's misleading so many people, 
So what happened to you? Why did you let the culture join you in throwing trip hazards out everywhere? Why are you going walking through this when you know better than this? What he's saying to his older brother. Don't be enraged, my Lord. Interesting, the big brother says to the little brother. And just, but just by the way, too, go read your Bible. Look at how many times you see the little brother leading the, the older brother. Just throw that in for free. You can think about that. Aaron replied, you yourself know these people, are, they're intent on evil. So whenever God comes into the garden after Adam and Eve have, have, have um, committed the sin, and he turns to Adam, and he says, man, what did you do? What did Adam say? Oh, this woman that you left here with me, you put here with me, she's the one that led me into this. Like, I was all okay if you put her in here. And the woman's like, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything. This, this serpent deceived me. The very beginning, the first thing that happens after sin is excuses. You like excuses? Do you love when people give you excuses? You realize that? The first thing that happens is excuses. And right here, we've got more excuses, right? You know the people. Man, they're intent on evil. They said to me, make God's Elohim's for us who will go before us because this Moses, and the negative connotation in this, this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And here's one of the best excuses in the Bible. So I said to them, whoever has gold, now listen, that gold is what they were, they were using to protect them, the earrings for the women and the children. And the, so that, this is something they worshiped with. They were, this, was a, this was a pagan worship they brought from Egypt. He told them, take all that junk off your ears. So it sounded good so far. When Aaron said, take all that stuff off your ears. When I threw it into the fire, it came out this calf. Y'all laughed whenever it was red a while ago. Because y'all recognize how ridiculous that, I mean, I'm, I mean, like, Moses is not going to sit back on that day and go, oh, wow, did it really? It must be the providence of God. Let's worship the thing then. That excuse is so ridiculous that we even laugh at it today. But you think about this. How many times have we done this same thing? As we've said, oh, well, it must be, it must be the providence of God. This is just the way it worked out. If you go back, you read the story, it talks about Aaron taking it and fashioning it with his own hand. And then whenever Moses confronts him, he says, I just threw all the gold in there and it's popped out. <coughs> you know where that is? New York Stock Exchange, right outside. Do you know what a bull market is? Bull market, bear market? So this bull right here represents prosperity. A bull market is when everything's on the rise and things are going better. You want, we all want a bull market, okay? So why, is, why do we use a bull to demonstrate that? Do you realize something? This golden calf wasn't actually a calf. It was a bull. It was a bull that they worshipped in Egypt. You know what the bull in, in Egypt they were worshipping? You know what that was about? It was about prosperity. So when they brought, here's, listen, here's what, nothing has changed, by the way. All these years later, we still worship prosperity. We still, I mean, like, if, if this week, if, 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 if we're saying, okay, if I stood at the door this week and I said, okay, listen, you know, God came to me and he wanted me to give you, ask you a question, okay? This week, do you want to fall into severe poverty or do you want to, fall into, or you want to go into great wealth? <laughs> Most of us would not be, I'll take the poverty. Severe poverty sounds good. I want that. I'll tell God that's what I want. Most of us be like, man, I want prosperity. You don't believe me, then go down to Houston. There's a church down there that preaches prosperity, and it's a, it used to be a basketball stadium, and it's packed full of thousands and thousands of people because all they do is preach prosperity. We today love prosperity. We today, man, if you'll, if you'll take, if you will take Christianity and fashion a little bit of prosperity, I'm in, man. Tell me what I got to do to be rich. Tell me what I got to be blessed. Man, I mean, that's, that's a blessed life. We don't realize that the blessed life isn't about having more money and more power here. The blessed life is about growing in the kingdom of God. It's about having more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That whenever we suffer in this world, we still have got our faith. That we still have got a relationship with God. That's the blessed life, okay? So, I mean, but we still today, man, we, we put this right outside there. A bull market, man. We want things to go good. We want prosperity. Oh, I got to let that rabbit go. We got baptisms. Okay. So Lot and Abraham... Lot is Abraham's nephew. They get to the point to where God blessing them so much, they've got too many people, too much stuff. And when they got too much stuff, they start fighting, and their people start fighting against one another. So Abraham comes to Lot and says, Lot, listen, it's time for us to separate. we got to go two different directions. He said, Lot, you choose any way you want to go, and I'll go the other direction. Now, Lot, at this point, his nephew, 
Lot should have been like, okay, sir, I'm only like this because of you, because God blessed you, because I've been here with you, so you tell me. I'll submit to any way you want to go. You're the elder in this. But it doesn't say that. I told lands before, you separate from me. You go to the left, I go to the right, whichever it is. So Lot looked out, and he saw the entire plain of the Jordan, as far as Zoar. was well watered everywhere, like the Lord's garden and the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Lot goes a different way. He looks down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, man, there's where I'll prosper right there. There's where my family will get to have the most money. That's where we'll be nice and secure, because if you tell me I do this, and I will prosper, and I will be secure, then it doesn't matter about the spiritual connotations. I will take the job. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan. But, transition word, Lot lived in the cities of the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. Doesn't say he's living near Sodom, does it? Why don't he just move around into Sodom? Was it because when he got down there to Sodom and said, man, this place is wicked. I can't just move in right now. We'll get as close as we possibly can. We'll take all the prosperity, but we won't live in there with them. We'll just get close. We'll just go along, but we won't join in with what they're doing. So if you're... You adults, your 14-year-old daughter comes to you and they said, hey, listen, I'm going to go out with these three guys right here. They're going to go out. They're going to get drunk and they're going to stay all night in this cabin. I'm going to go with them, but I'm not going to drink and I'm not going to stay in the same room with them. Would you be like, okay, yeah, as long as you don't drink and sleep with them, that's okay. That's ridiculous, isn't it? We look at that and we like, man, you would, no, I would never do that. But do you realize something? That in our spiritual lives, we do that same thing. If you tell me that I get this job and I make a whole bunch of money, but there's going to be a whole bunch of corruption in that, I'll just get as close as I can to get all the money I possibly can, but I won't join in with them. I'll keep my conviction. Oh, let me tell you something. Be careful with that. That will get you just like it got Lot. He's near the plain of Sodom. Two angels. They come to Abraham. They said, Abraham, we're about to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham starts praying, and he says, if you just get all the way down to 10 people, if you can find 10 righteous people there, will you not destroy it? And they're like, yeah. No, God's like, I won't destroy it. Got 10 righteous people. So Abraham's thinking, there's Lot, his wife. He's got two daughters. Surely he's had an influence over six people there. He's going to find six people there that are righteous. Well, story goes, they went down there, and there's not six righteous people. I mean, like it was, he was living in a terrible place, Lot was. And whenever he goes in, that evening, it says, the two angels entered Sodom that evening as Lot was sitting in Sodom's gateway. He's not outside in the tent anymore, is he? Do you know, you know who's sitting in the gateway? The leaders of the towns who lived in the gateway. The gateway in a town, the gates of a town, is a place where, where the, the, the leaders of the town made all of their laws and their rules, and they executed judgment in the town. So now Lot is one of the leaders in the town. He's not pitched a tent outside. He's living inside. Not only is he living inside, but he's leading but here's what I'll present to you today. It's leading him. He's done bought in to a degree. <clears throat> I'm going to give you all the abbreviated section, okay? Version. So what happens here is that when he brings them in, they sit down, they go to eat. And the men of the town come beat on the door and they said, we saw those two men that came in with you. Send them out here with us because we're going to do, like we're going to keep it rated G right now with them, like what they would want to do. It's bad, okay? If you don't know the story, go read it for yourself. So Lot in his answer says, oh, don't do that to them. I've got two daughters in here who have never been married. I'll send them out to you, and you do with them what you want to do. Do you see a problem here? Because he said, because these men have come under my protection and my care. Well, what about your daughters, man? Do you see the compromise of what's done to him? It's gotten to the point to where now he's not even seeing his family, that, he's, that he is responsible to protect his own family. And so whenever they did this, they started beating down the door. The angel struck all the men outside blind to where they couldn't see anymore. And then it says, at daybreak, the angels urged Lot, get up, take your wife and your daughters who are here with you, or you'll be swept away by the punishment of this day. you got to get out of here. But he hesitated. Do you see that? He's got compromised now. Now he's got a direct word from the Lord. Now he, he doesn't even want. See, like we always get after his wife for turning around and looking back. We don't ever talk about how he hesitated there. He's got so bought in to where he doesn't even want to leave. 
Because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and they forced him out. They left him outside the city. As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, man, you better run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has indeed found favor with you. You have shown me great kindness by saving my life, but I can't run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, this town is close enough for me to flee to. That's Zoar. It is a small place. Please let me run to it. It's only a small place, isn't it? So that, that's, do you see? He still just wanted to compromise. Run to the mountains or you die. Oh, no, I can't run the mountains. I'll die there. How about this little town over here? I can just go over here. I got to be around because I'm going to go over there and have a good influence on them like I did in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll go over there and be a light in that darkness like I was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you see what it's like? I mean, it's like God comes to him and says, you better get out of here. This is bad. Get to the mountains. And he steps outside there and he says, no, I can't go to the mountains. Just let me compromise over here and just do this. I won't, it won't be so bad over here. Okay, so we do that same thing with God. God comes, I mean, the word of God comes in there and says, it's time to clean up all the trip hazards. Everything's got to go right now today. And we go around, we start gathering up the trip hazards. Pick them up. And, oh, but not this one right here. I love this one. I've got to have this one. This is my fluffy. I love this one. This one right here, I, I coddle it, you know, and I pet it, and it loves me back. I can't live without this one. I can keep this one, just this one. Get rid of all the rest. I got to keep this just one. It's a little one. And that, that fluffy, by the way, if you don't know, that fluffy is a baby lion that grows into a man eater. So what are the trip hazards that we got your outline right there? Let's fill those in right quick. First one right there is neglecting daily disciplines of devotion. When I get to the point to where I don't have time to pray, read my Bible, then what I've, what I've got to is I've got the point where I don't have time for God. If I don't have enough time to read my Bible and pray, then I don't have enough time for God, then that's, listen, that's the first trip passage right there. Then all of a sudden, I'm gonna, the less I read my Bible, the less I pray, the less I commune with God, the more okay I am with trip hazards in my life. The more I commune with God, the more I spend on the mountain right there, man, listen, the more those trip hazards are magnified, this is dangerous, this is going, somebody's going to get hurt. we got to get this out of here right now. Neglecting family priorities and responsibilities. I mean, look, it blows my mind. Every time I read that story, the lost, like, I'll send out my, my daughters to you. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I, know, I don't know a single man that would do that. There's not a single man I've ever known that would be like, yeah, he would do that. Every man I've ever known would be like, they would die before they threw out their daughters out there and that, that stuff, you know? I mean, like, it blows my mind. But see, that is how this culture can compromise us, can get us to the point where we lose total vision of who we are. Did Lot lose his identity? Is the world trying to get you to lose your identity in Christ? Absolutely yes. Is it wanting you to be so deluded with everybody else? And then you come to church, you hear somebody preach like me, and go, man, that dude is judgmental. I don't know what's wrong with him, man. I don't come listen to that junk anymore. What, who's he mad at anyway? I can tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. You, know, you want to know this? I Make it clear as a bell right now who I'm mad at. I am mad at the devil. I'm mad at this world culture we live in. I am mad at myself. I'm mad at the other preachers that have compromised and let all of this happen. Our leaders, that we just compromise, just go along with the flow. And just like, don't make it, don't put too much noise. Don't upset, don't get anybody mad at you. You need to be worried about getting people in your church. Oh, really? So I thought we were supposed to be concerned about getting people in the kingdom of God. See, cultivate relationships that encourage sin. That's another trip hazard right there. I want to ask you, so if you've got any, any relationships in your life, that in those relationships, whenever you're around them, you tend to gossip more. You tend to get into more stuff. I mean, when you get through that, you walk away from that person, you feel like, ugh, you know what I'm talking about? Then, then you've got to be careful about cultivating those relationships that encourage sin in your life. Do you have any relationships in your life that whenever you're around that person, you walk away, you're like, man, I feel stronger spiritually. I feel like after I've been around them, man, I want to pray a little harder. I want to seek the Lord a little more. I want to pick up some more trip hazards. Man, I mean, like, I'm, that's, the kind, that's the kind of relationships we need. And that's why there's something supernatural that happens in this place. We talk about this all the time. I am fascinated with neurotheology. And neuroscience just, now, I'm not saying I go read it all the time, but I'm fascinated because, like, in neuroscience, you know what they realized? That whenever people are in close proximity, 
that our, brave, our, our, our brain waves begin to lock up together. They don't understand why that happens. The reason I love neuroscience is because I understand why that happens. Because there's something spiritual that happens. See, they've taken the whole spiritual aspect out of it. I'll put the spiritual aspect in it and it makes sense. Because spiritually, there's something supernatural that happens when you come. I mean, that's why people at a sporting event for the same team, they have the same feeling. Why does the whole crowd just go crazy all at once? Why a while ago when I said something funny to most of, to most of y'all laughing here? You know, when I first came here, when I first started preaching, when I, when I would say something that I intended to be a little bit funny, nobody would laugh. Everybody you know, I'd look around like, and then new people come in here and they see y'all laughing. Like, what are they laughing at? Because they don't know me like you know me. See, here's the thing that happens. That whenever all of you laugh like that, all of our brain waves start hitting on the same. It's kind of weird. You're like, man, that's kind of weird. And you look around people's close proximity to you. But here's the interesting thing. There's something supernatural happening right here in this moment. Made, made a bunch of y'all uncomfortable, by the way, when I started talking about that. Some of y'all got really, y'all are wiggling your seat. You think, I wish I wasn't upset by this person now. Look at this. When I used to teach high school students, I would make them memorize this verse. When they'd memorize a verse, I'd reward them for this. Because I thought this is like, as a teenager, they'd got to have this, this verse memorized. Walk with the wise, become wise. See, because when you walk with them, guess what? When you're around that person that much, when your brain starts going the same, same wave as theirs, it changes the way that you think. That's why when you read your Bible every day and you pray every day, it changes your brain. Neuroscience sees that too. I and mean, they've already admitted that. So when you walk with, but you associate with fools, and man, you get in a mess. You, get, you can come undone. So your friends matter. See, some of y'all right now, you're adults. You're thinking about your kids. Tell your kids all the time. It matters who you hang out with. Your kids are like, it doesn't matter that much. I'll never forget one day, I, I brought home a guy that I wanted to be my friend from school. He didn't want to play basketball. I mean, I used to worship basketball. And he came and said, let's go to my house and play basketball. Man, I went in there. And my dad said, who's that out there, boy? And I said, I told him who it was. And he goes, either you go tell him to leave right now or I will. I was like, do what? And he said, either you go tell him to leave right now or I will. So I was like, no questions asked. I went out there and said, hey, man, listen, can't play. See you later. Bye. I didn't understand at the moment what was going on. Years down the road, when that boy ended up in penitentiary, I understood what my dad was doing. I was too young, too immature, didn't have enough life experience when I was young to know what he was trying to save me from. So does it matter who you associate with? See, you parents, you know that with your children. And here's what I'm telling you right now, even as adults. See, listen, we all need to step back and look at this too. It matters. It matters who you associate with. This is why we come here and we, we worship, we pray songs, we look at the word of God, we pray, and we say, man, this is it. This is, this is the meaning of life. It's living your kingdom purpose. I mean, this is what we're talking about right here because we realize this, that all the rest of us to one degree or another are messed up, but Jesus isn't. Well, all the rest of us, man, we can hurt one another, but Jesus will never hurt us. So it's like when we come here to this place, we're like, listen, all of us are pointing to Jesus, not to the Bridge Fellowship, not to David Yarbrough, to Jesus. Because he will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That needs to be the most important relationship in our lives. One more. That wasn't enough right there. Don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company corrupts good character. You got good character right now today? Well, here's how you can destroy that. Hang out with bad company. Back to our points here. D on there. Unethical shortcuts. The world is always giving you opportunities to take a shortcut. The easy way. And here's what I can tell you. Usually, the easy way is the wrong way. Amen. Man, I tell you what, there's, there's, no, there's no fast road to spiritual growth. Man, there is a... E, justifying seemingly minor sins, lacking accountability. So you've got some little sins in your life, some little trip hazards you're letting lay out there. You say, man, that trip hazard won't hurt anybody. Well, let me tell you something. There is really no such thing as a minor sin. A little sin is kind of like being a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. It's either sin or it's not sin. Okay, I mean, so we can't justify that. So oh, it's not that really big of a deal. It's just a little white lie, something like that. It's still a lie. I mean, if I came to you and said, listen, I'm going to be your friend, I'm just going to tell you a bunch of little bitty white lies. No big bad ones, just a whole bunch of little bitty ones. You'd be like, oh, great, that's the kind of friend I want to have. So you're lying to me right now. I'm lying to you right now. F, engaging 
with sin glorifying media and entertainment. Man, I just could have skipped that one right there, preacher. I was, doing, I was with you until you started talking about that. So I'm listening to I, those movies I watch and stuff like that, that stuff I watch online, that doesn't bother me. Well, here, I'm telling you something right now. Nice as plainly as I possibly can. Man, you got trip hazards all over the place when you're watching sin glorifying media. It amazes me that we live in a world that can practically be shut down by one little bitty virus. Maybe we come in here and say, man, you get this virus, you're going to get really sick, you might die. Well, put on masks, shut everything down. Isolate, get away from everybody. Come in here and say, man, this sin right here will destroy you. I know it won't, I can handle that. What are you talking about? And this sin right here is poison. This sin will, it will infiltrate every aspect of your life. It's not that big of a deal. I'm going on my life, I can just do that. We don't see how bad sin really is. We don't see the damaging effect it has on our soul. Physically, man, don't know. You got a virus, get away from me. Oh, but I want to come to you and I got a whole bunch of corruption in my life, a whole bunch of sin right here in my life. So that, that, that first old rig I worked on, I never will forget when they found out that I was a preacher, they would come. I'd be sitting there and they called it the, um, the doghouse. I'd be sitting there in the doghouse, getting ready to change out to go do something. And they'd come walking in there and they'd love to come in there with pornographic magazines and throw it at me and laugh. Say, check that out, preacher. What you think about that? because they wanted me to join them in their corruption. So here's the interesting thing. Remember me telling you about that, that time that that pop swung through there and I came back a different guy? There's a second rig right there. That second guy that came back, not only did I make them pick up all the trip hazards, but then I also made them stop cussing in front of me. If you've never been in the oil field, they, there's, there's adjectives that starts with an F that goes before every noun, okay? And so whenever they would do that, and if they ever took God's name in vain, then they invited me to preach a sermon right there on the spot. So like, I'm sure that they had a lot of fun about me behind my back, but I didn't care. Because here's the thing too, is that whenever they would have marriage problems, marriage problems at home, guess who they came to? Guess who, whenever, whenever someone got killed in our rig and, and the, the top people came in, they sat down with a meeting with everybody, guess who they asked to pray? So, so your, your culture will either influence you or you will influence it. One or the other. The question is, how strong are your convictions? You say, well, man, my convictions, they need to be stronger. Well, that's why I get up here and I spit and I jump and I holler every week and say, you've got to be reading your Bible. You've got to be praying. You've got to be communing with the God. Because I'll tell you something. You get up there on that mountain where there's fire and there's smoke and the power of God, when you come back down, you will not be afraid to point out the, the trip hazards. You won't put up with any of that anymore. Man, everything just changed right here. And this is, this, is, this, is, this is the world we live in today. Beginning today, this is the world we live in. We do not tolerate trip hazards, period, end of story. People laugh at you behind your back, but they'll respect you to your face. Let's all stand this morning. I have never, ever heard anyone come to me and say, man, you know what? I want to be a man like Lot. <laughs> let's do a Bible study on the character of Lot, and let's, be, let's see if we can be godly men like Lot. Never, never seen that Bible study? Probably never will. Never heard that before. We all look at Lot, and we shake our head, and we're like, man, really? What was wrong with that dude? So, so here's what I can tell you. Is what was wrong with that dude is it all tracks it back to one thing, standing up there on that hill next to Abraham that day, and he looked down there towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and he said, thought to his heart, I can handle that. I can live there. I'll pitch my tent outside. My kids will grow up with the best schools. We'll have the most money, and I won't let that corruption impact us. That's what I can trace it back to on that day. Because here's what I can tell you. So if you're standing here this morning, and you're like, David, listen. I'm strong enough, I can handle it. Then I want to tell you something. The enemy's got you right where he wants you. The moment you think you're strong enough and you can handle it, that's where he's got you. But if you're standing here today and you're like, man, I tell you what, I know one thing, that apart from God's power and strength, I can't handle any of this. Then you're in the right place. It's called humility, and that's whenever God's power and his strength covers you, empowers you, and gives you what you need. Because you can't do this on your own. 
And no, don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not telling y'all to modify your behavior and leave out here this next week and go in there, man, and just point out all the trip hazards and everyone, just straighten everybody out in your world. I'm telling you this much. Get up on the mountain first. Let God transform your heart first. And whenever you have that life-transforming experience, then I tell you what, there will be no behavior modification. It will be true life transformation, and it's going to naturally flow from you from a place that's not you. It's the power of God in your life. So we're about to see, have communion, after communion, we're going to have baptisms. So here's what I want you to understand. There have been a whole bunch of people who have went in the baptistry and came out the same person. They went in a sinner and they came out a sinner. That baptism doesn't save anybody, doesn't make anybody right with God. That, bapt that baptism is, what this is, is this is a public declaration of what somebody's saying, this is the transformed process that's taking place in my heart. I have died to myself. I've died to this world. And there's been a resurrection to a new person here. A new life. Everything has changed, not because it's baptism, but because of the power of God in my heart. That's what's changed me. So you're sitting here, so you're standing here right now, and you're, like, you're watching this, you're like, you don't go to church very much, and this has been kind of a painful experience for you to sit in here with us and listen to me yell a little bit. But I'll tell you this much. Here's what I can, I can tell you. Listen, there's, there's a few things I know. I know this. Nobody's getting into heaven because they're a good person. Nobody's getting into heaven because they're a preacher or they're a church member or anything like that because they've been baptized. The only way, there's only one way, only one way we get into heaven. And that's whenever we humble ourselves and come under the atoning blood of Jesus Christ through him, through his sins covering, his blood covering our sins, our position in Christ, not because of our righteousness, but because of his righteousness and our position in him. That's the only way. So if you say, man, David, I said that prayer back when I was a kid, but nothing changed. Well, here's what I'm telling you today. Then maybe you weren't saved. Or maybe you said, man, I said that prayer when I was a kid, and I changed for a little bit. Man, ever since then, life's been miserable. I've been just, it's been rough. Well, maybe that's conviction of the Holy Spirit trying to get you to get back to the mountain. Or maybe you got saved when you were a kid, and you got baptized, and you experienced life transformation, and God has been changing your heart the whole way, and you're standing here right now, and you're like, man, I know I'm saved. I know that. That's good. But here's what I can tell you. The most important aspect of your life is that. That's why you are here today. And that's what we celebrate here in just a moment. We don't know for sure. We hope and we believe that everyone here, that they've experienced that. But if you have not experienced that, if you don't know, then listen. You're in the place where you find out. Don't go back out the world and Google this. Somebody's going to lie to you out there. Stay in here with people that know that have experienced it. I want to know something. I want to talk to somebody that has truly experienced that thing. And I want to talk to them about that. So if you are in Christ, then we want to invite you. We have something called Open Communion. The communion is at the front and at the back. So you just make your way, get your communion elements, and come back to your seat. Once you get back to your seat, if you'd have a seat, please. We will continue from there. So as we get ready to baptize here this morning, I want to just talk to you just a moment about this. I've already, I've already mentioned this, but here's what you have to understand. This right here does not save anybody. Nobody's going to go into this loss and come out saved. I mean, I've said this like every time and it gets me because like, I remember like one time after we did baptisms, like someone got online, this other person on Facebook or something, they said, I didn't know y'all were getting saved at church day. I would have been there. Okay, so this is not saving anybody. Okay, so you're sitting right now and say, man, I wish I could get saved, get prayer and get, no, this isn't what saves you. You're saved by grace through faith, by placing your faith in the work of Christ on the cross. This, he said, we've got the command to follow him in baptism. So this is commanded by, by Jesus to follow him in scriptural baptism. This represents the death to my old life. You see this person right now, they're going to be buried under the water, represented buried to the old flesh, the flesh dominating and ruling over me and resurrected to a new life. To where now I live under the authority of Jesus Christ, where now he reigns and rules over my life. That's what you see right here. That's what this is. That's what this whole thing represents. Did you know that even Jesus was baptized? Did he need his sins forgiven? No, he didn't have any sins, did he? 
Something like this doesn't, this doesn't wash away sins or anything like this. This is very symbolic of what has already happened. As, as for the person to physically show everyone else, listen, this is what's happened. I identify with Jesus Christ. I identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I'm a new creation in Christ. I live now in the kingdom of God. That's what all of this represents right here. Where are those people going to get baptized at? Oh, okay. Turn it over to y'all then. Oh, yeah. Come on. This is Elijah Bonner. And he, you may be asking why I'm even up here, because this little man asked me to be a part of his baptism. And that is an honor for me to be a part of his baptism. And um, so I just want you to understand we're seeing some supernatural things. David's already said that today because John said, Chapter 6, verse 44 says, Jesus says that no one, no one can come to me unless my Father draws him. So God has drawn people to come to him, just like he has Elijah. So Elijah, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord? Yeah. Do you believe that he died for your sins? Yeah. All right, so now your dad's going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. Stay right here, buddy. So for those of you who might not know them, this is Jeremiah and his dad, Cody. So what a blessing. They're both getting baptized today. Uh, I've gotten to spend a little time with Jeremiah on Wednesday nights. We're glad to have him in the children's ministry and gotten acquainted with Cody, too. So I think we had Jeremiah lined up. He's going to get baptized. And I got a text from Cody. He says, I, count me in, too. I need to get baptized. I'll let him tell you about that in just a minute. We're going to baptize Jeremiah first. So, Jeremiah, can you tell me why it is you want to get baptized today? So I can be with God forever. Good. And what did Jesus do for you? Die on the cross. Died on the cross for you. Amen, brother. All right. Jeff, hold this mic. Cody's turn. So, brother, I believe your testimony is you've been, salvation isn't necessarily a new thing for you, but, yes, but presenting yourself for baptism is. Mm -hmm. t t tell us a little about that. Well, I've just been uh, on this journey for a little while now, and like my wife, we talked about it earlier, for 30 years I've been trying to do it by myself. Can't do that, so. Amen. And, and thankfully, coming to, coming to get baptized doesn't mean you've got your act entirely together. But, yeah. boy, we see some great things happen in yeah. the Hill House family. And I know you all are behind them, and we're going to keep praying for you all. And, and God bless you. So, Jeff, come take the mic again. Are you going to help me? Sure. This guy's a little bigger than the other guy. Because you have professed with your mouth, believed in your heart, 
Okay, everyone, here we have our friend Cadence Wilkins. Can you say hi? Hi. All right, so this morning is a big day for you, right? You've been excited for this for a while, correct? Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm going to ask you a few questions real quick before we do this, okay? All right, what did Jesus do for you? He died on the cross for me. Are you excited about that? Yes. All right, are you ready to join God's team today? And put, put that out there in public. Again, not, not that this is what saves you, but we're letting everyone know that we're on God's team, right? Right. All right, let's go do this, okay? So, what a great day. I didn't get to hear the message, but I'm sure it was great as well. So, um, just real quick, and I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor David. We got a quick uh, camp announcement um, for uh, this summer camp for students and kids. So, for preteen camp, if you haven't seen the announcements, it is for completed third through fifth grade, and it will be June the 19th through the 22nd. It's $290. And youth camp completed 6th through 12th grade will be July 22nd through the 26th, and it is $350. Space is limited, okay? And the reason it's limited is we only have so many slots that we can get to keep our kids together. It's a logistical thing, and so we signed up for uh, what we thought was a good amount of spots. It works with our buses and everything. So what we have is what we have. Um, we'll do everything we can after the fact to try and add to it, but right now we can't promise anything. So if you want your kids to go, get signed up as soon as possible. And also you can email Christy Riser, uh, or Christy at thebridgemm.com. Her email's there, it's on social media. Um, wanted to make that announcement today, and we're gonna turn this over to, to David to close this out. Thank you. I'll stand this morning. Let's pray a little bit this morning. God, we thank you today for these that came for baptism. God, we pray over them, pray over their lives. God, we pray that they will know their kingdom purpose in their generation. God, we pray that as a church that we will support them, that we will pray for them, and that we will just be there for them to, to just be a part of a healthy community where they can just flourish in their faith, oh God. So we hold every one of them before you. We're, we're grateful for them, and we just pray for them in their future, oh God. Scott, today, that as we leave out here today, we pray that for all of us, Holy Spirit, identify the trip hazards in our lives. So we leave out of here. As we go into our homes, into our workplaces, our schools, as we go into this week, God, Holy Spirit, pray that you would point those out. Give us conviction. Give us the conviction and the boldness to point them out, to remove them. But God, and when, there, when there's trip hazards that are involving other people, then give us love and grace as we also point them out and try to help with those as well, God. Help us to not come across as mean and judgmental, but as loving and concerned, oh God. So we pray that you work in the hearts of the other people as we go to them. Some people sitting in here this morning have thought of others that have got massive trip hazards in their life. And God, we just pray for that person right now. Hold them before you and pray, God, that you would soften their heart 
and help them to see that and bring life transformation into their lives, oh God. So right now, as we leave out in this prayer right now, just think about this. How much time do you plan on praying this week? How much time do you plan on communing with the Lord this week? If you don't have a plan, then it won't happen. So you leave out, I want to pray this prayer over you today from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 and 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace as you go in Jesus' name.